0: We are inside a car in downtown Quito calling some phone numbers we have found during our research and making some final efforts to tie our loose ends. Alo Yolanda sí? ¿Quién, por favor? Qué gusto hablar con usted está hablando con Daniel Rota, nieto de Carlos Rota. Ah, nieto de señor Carlos Rota.
1: Sí,
0: dígame. During our research, we came across the name Yolanda Molina several times. Yolanda was a radio host during the 70s, 80s, and 90s in Quito and was a big fan of Kaife's music, which she often played during her broadcasts. We reached out to several people who, like Yolanda, knew or were close to my grandfather. We were able to talk to some but most of the people we spoke to who were connected to the label are very old or have passed away.
1: Si otra persona...
0: Yolanda and I talk for a minute and she tells me that she might have a couple of contacts that could be of use. She tells me to call her back in five minutes. I wanted to get in contact with people who were closely connected to CAIFE and who worked at the label to understand not only their connection to the music but also what the day-to-day was like what it was like actually working with my grandfather. What I came to realize is that although my grandfather founded the label, he wasn't the only one involved. CAIFE was an organization with many moving parts. Engineers, composers, musicians, producers and manufacturers had all come together under the umbrella of CAIFE to make the Ecuadorian Phonographic Industry a reality. My name is Daniel Alfredo Rota aka Quijosis and I'm a musical archaeologist, musician and DJ from Quito, Ecuador. This is Caife, The Lost Sound, a Spotify original podcast where I uncover the story of Caife, a record label founded by my grandfather in the 1960s in Ecuador, a story buried under decades of forgotten memories. While waiting to call Yolanda back, we dialed Hector Jaramillo, a man who worked at the very core of Caife.
1: Hello.
0: Buenos días, Hector Hector right? calls me a sweetheart and tells me he doesn't remember anything. That he is more than 90 years old and that it was a long, long time ago. Hector, as I understand, was the label accountant, and for some time, Carlos's right-hand man. When I ask, his memory comes back a little bit. Era and he tells me that he did everything at the label, sales, accounting, musical direction, and even performing. And that when he left, the label fell apart. It seemed to us that Hector did remember things, but didn't necessarily want to go into details. We don't know for sure, but at least we were able to talk to him. 5 minutes had passed, so I called Yolanda back. Hello? Hello Yolanda.
1: Yes.
0: ¿Qué tal? ¿Cómo le va? Oh,
1: no, qué pena.
0: Yolanda was a radio host at one of the very first radio stations in Ecuador, HCJB. The radio station was really important in the development of the country's radio scene, and they recorded live performances at the station in the 30s and 40s. Some of the CAIFE productions were made at HCJB, and by the 1980s, the station boasted one of the most important musical catalogues in Ecuadorian history. However, in the 1990s, after a change in management and a serious lack of vision and foresight, the radio station decided to burn most of their analog tapes and vinyl. They threw out their records and essentially eliminated any trace of their pivotal role in Ecuadorian history. Amongst those tapes were all the recordings of Yolanda's interviews, live sessions by deceased musicians, and at least one roll of tape which would have shed light on our investigation. When I visited the radio station I was absolutely shocked to learn of what they had done. The experience highlights the negligence when dealing with our history, And underlines the urgency of taking on archival and historical work in Ecuador. Our own recent histories are endangered species. We made one last call hoping for some luck. We contacted Rene Torres, who we learned had been the label's recording and production engineer. Buenos dias. Buenos dias, Rene Torres. Miraculously, he answers, and we make an appointment for 3 p.m. the next day.
1: Danny, we found René uh, Torres. Uh, what do you feel about talking with him?
0: I'm really excited. Honestly, this is the first living person that we found that it was actually part of Kaife that worked with my grandfather on the label, and this has just not happened before. So I'm hoping we're going to find some, some really useful information and maybe some glimpses into what it was like to be there then.
1: What do you want to ask him?
0: I want to ask him about his relationship with my grandfather, about uh, if he was friends with any of the artists, what it was like to be in a recording session, if, if the artists were drunk, if they were sober. I just want the details. After a long drive, we arrive at a house just outside of Quito. It is large and we are welcomed by René Torres's daughter, who introduces us to René the engineer at the label, and one of the key players in the construction of the Kaife sound. Victor. René Torres worked at the yeah. studio where Kaife so, so, records were recorded, so, mixed, and prepared for the vinyl press. He met my grandfather, Carlos, before CAIFE, while working for my great-grandfather, Luigi Rota, back when they pressed and produced records under license for RCA Victor. It's RCA Victor's great Golden Throat sound. See the RCA Victor was an American brand that manufactured electronic products, radio, television, video recorders, sound equipment, and telephones. They also pioneered the production of records and were one of the most important labels in the first half of the 20th century. How was de grabación ponte con with Benitez Valencia and Pollo Ortiz? I asked René what the energy was like in the recording studio. He tells me that the floor was covered in carpet and canvas covered the walls to make them non-reflective. They only used ribbon microphones. They had a single monitor so you could check the sound before sending the music to get cut. He tells me how he would show the mixes to Carlos or Luigi, who would then ask him to make adjustments for quality control. He would then tweak the high and low frequencies until everything came out just right and all the defects were gone. Then he would print the master from one tape to another, and send that master tape to the factory where the records would be pressed, and then shipped to the store to be sold to the public. I asked René if the records sold well, and he tells me they did that each pressing was around 1,500 records, and that they would make several production runs, pressing the dub plates or molds cut from the master tapes into warm vinyl discs. Eventually, I came to realize that it was René's handwriting which I would read years later while digitizing the tapes. During the process, I added my notes to his, and now there were two sets of handwriting on those tapes, one his, one mine. We were strangely linked. He also tells me that my great-grandfather Luigi was directly involved in the production of the records and that more often than not, it was him who came to check the quality of the work. René would come in to work at 8am and Luigi would be there, ready to tell him what adjustments needed to be made. In the 20s, Luigi Rota came from Milan, Italy, to Ecuador. He was a radio engineer and assisted in the installation of the country's first radio network. He went on to teach electronics classes to help install the city's electrical grid. He was a professor at the Polytechnic Institute and a representative of the mythical RCA, Radio Corporation of America. They sold radios, bicycles, Neki sewing machines, Olivetti typewriters, and distributed records straight from the center of Quito. I asked Rene if he had any unusual anecdotes about my grandfather, and he tells me that Carlos and him always had a good working relationship that sometimes Carlos would sneak off to have a drink and that he and Luigi would have a good laugh about it. But beyond that, his relationship was one of deep gratitude both to Carlos and Luigi for giving him the professional experience that would change his life. De a We end the conversation with René telling me that for him, getting older has not been very pleasant. He has lost his mobility and that he fell the other day. It feels like he's trying to dissuade me from growing old, as though he would choose differently if he could. Me <laughs> Ya no queda más, no, ¿qué hago?
1: Danny, how was this conversation with René for you?
0: It was really interesting to hear René talk about Luigi Rota's role in the label and how he was really involved in the quality control, in training the engineers and he had a real vision of of setting up all of the infrastructure that Carlos then used to continue the label and I feel like now it's more clear that it wasn't just Carlos there, but also there was a lot of really important elements like the arrangers, uh, Raul Emiliani and Segundo Jimenez were really important in all of those beautiful details and extravagant luxuries that everybody, everybody comments on. I feel like we're starting to understand that Carlos might have taken too much credit or we might be giving Carlos too much credit. and. Uh, this, uh, this organization is, is wonderful because there's so many people working together, and that is, that is remarkable. Sometimes I wonder if opening the doors to these distant memories is painful, or if it actually brings solace. But with René, I felt we had a good time remembering his golden age. What struck me the most was our handwriting and the fact that it overlapped, entangling and interacting across time for years, and that now those two parallel timelines had met for an instant, however brief. One last push to wrap up this story, I decided to enter the world of experimental psychology, hoping to understand the origin of the traumas that Carlos left in his wake. Family constellations are a therapeutic method that seeks to heal wounds from past generations in families. I entered it with a degree of skepticism, but mostly with an open mind. I heard that it could be useful in mending broken family trees, and I thought it could be helpful. In this virtual family constellation, there is a facilitator that leads the session, and several participants tune in from other parts of the world to represent the members of my family.
1: Bueno, cuéntame, Daniel,
0: ¿cuál es tu pedido? Mi pedido es sanar la relación, eh, bueno, sanar la exclusión de mi abuelo. For la okay. Mi abuelo eh, no estaba bien de la cabeza. Él fue abusivo con, con sus hijas. One of the participants has taken the role of my mother, and another, my grandfather. ¿Qué
1: pasa con la mamá? Yo sé qué de mí, pero lo quiero ahí, no lo quiero
0: tener cerca. My fictitious mother says she wants her father far away, which prompts my fictitious grandfather to feel judged.
1: ¿Cómo cómo es para el abuelo esto? Ah,
0: the facilitator tells my fictitious grandfather to tell his fictitious daughter how he feels. He says that he just didn't know how to do it any differently. I'm pressing the pillow tightly to my chest, and on the screen I could see people playing my relatives. I didn't expect such a performative act.
1: Siento pena y siento vergüenza con, con ella. Y Dile, lo siento. Lo siento. Lo siento. Lo siento. No estaba disponible. No estaba disponible. Eh,
0: mi, mi abuelo era misocata. Pero no me... había
1: no había permiso para tomar al padre.
0: Okay. At this point things begin to take on a different meaning for me. I came to the experience fully open to whatever it could give me, and now I'm shocked and overwhelmed by my feelings. I had gone into that virtual room, open to whatever the experience could give me. I did my best to leave my preconceived notions outside, but in the end, I felt deeply impacted by what happened. I never expected to cry while hugging a pillow meant to symbolize my estranged grandfather. All of a sudden, I felt a sort of clarity. I could see the story from a distance. I understood now that during the 1960s, Carlos had lost the two most important male figures in his life. His grandfather had passed away, and only a couple of years later, his own father died. Without them, Carlos had lost his bearings. I wonder what his life would have been like if he would have had his father as a role model for another 20 years, or if there had been a strong male presence to temper his dark side. In Carlos's hands, my mother's entire lineage became a lineage of strong, independent, and resilient women. And with time, those protection mechanisms, which had been essential for our collective survival, had become a limiting factor for the evolution of a healthy masculinity in me. Carlos was a toxic patriarch, and his influence affected the lives of every male member of my family after him, including me, my brother, my cousin, and also my father. And it was then that I saw the window that this process had opened. At the beginning of the story, I felt how my mother and aunt had misgivings about my intentions, how they treated everything that had to do with Carlos as radioactive, and how through the years of work, I had gained their trust. That meant a lot to me.
1: This movement will help a lot to your system. thank you Daniel, a beautiful constellation. toma with con
0: to masculine energy. I felt somehow, after so many decades of toxic masculinity, that perhaps I could change all that. That it was up to me to repair the masculine role in my own family. Maybe it was my turn to be a patriarch. It was as if time was asking me, how would you do it differently? We spoke to Gabriela and Francesca one last time to understand the weight of that intergenerational trauma.
1: How feel when they those Caife? always a, a, mí me, a mí me había un set of those
0: This is Francesca and Gabriela listening to one of their favorite tracks from the label.
1: This.
0: That's it.
1: Wow. Do eso. hear that? Listen to that. ¡Es poderoso!
0: Sí, es muy bonito. Es, ¡Es
1: espectacular! Ah. ¡Qué bestia! ¡Qué lindo arreglo! ¿Qué dices?
0: Sí,
1: ya Pero, verás, Se pone... Se va enriqueciendo, ¿eh?
0: Sí, total. Amongst all the papers that Carlos left behind, we found stacks of short stories he wrote. One of the stories really stood out to me. It's called Artificial Death, and tells of two middle-aged men who promise to each other that whoever dies first will immediately communicate the experience of death to the other through telepathy. It's an imaginative story, with very dark overtones and for some reason, I thought he had written it during his middle age. But it turned out, he had published it in his high school newspaper at age 17. At the end of the story, the character asks the reader in desperation, What broke inside of me? How did I end up like this? I ask Gabriela about it, and she tells me that that is the irony of the tragedy. That the tragic ending is written, yet the protagonist cannot help but struggle against his fate. Like Oedipus, I say. Like all Greek tragedies, she corrects me. This process has been a form of therapy for my mother and aunt. A kind of reconciliation. A way of turning pain into gratitude. Nosotros somos las personas que somos porque venimos de ese papá, ¿no? Gabriela tells me that it is a gift, that they are who they are because of their father, that despite himself, he had given them strong values and led them down a path that is ultimately righteous, a path connected to the arts, to consciousness, and to the fundamental quests in life. She thanks him, she forgives him, she loves him very much, and she is happy to be Gabriela Rota, daughter of Carlos Rota. Es decir,
1: le agradezco a él y le perdono y le quiero mucho. Y me alegra ser Gabriela Rota, hija
0: de Carlos Rota. For Francesca and Gabriela, my encounter with the records and the whole development of this project is nothing short of wonderful. It has been a reclamation of their father. They have rebuilt the most beautiful sides of him. It could be said that there was no closure. Carlos was not aware of the damage he caused and the many traumas that were left hanging around the family after his death. But what I'm sure of is that without Carlos's issues, this whole project would have never existed. And these tapes would probably be irrelevant. His own life would be different. Perhaps those tapes would have been sold years ago, but it was the patterns of his mental illness that led Carlos Rota to bury those records under tons of newspapers, under his own illness. And it was those tapes that gave us the tools and the opportunity to heal what he left broken. The Lost Sound is a Spotify original series produced by Teletigre Bogotá. The show was directed by Jorge Duran, written and hosted by Daniel Ofredo Rota and Nadia Orozco. Created by Daniel Ofredo Rota and Jorge Duran. Edited by Jaime Barbosa, Juan Bayona, Maria Murcia and Alejandra Medina. Sound recording by Sandra Beltrán and Camilo Calderón. Sound design by La Boheme Studios. Produced by Diana Bautista. Music for the series by the artist of the CAIFE label, Quijosis, and the Tambien Ambient Music Collective. And a special thank you to my family. From Spotify, Javier Piñol is director of studios for Latin America and US Latinx. Our executive producers are Lee Hernandez and Daniel Diaz. Production operations led by Camila Justo. Production manager, Sofia Garcia Ramos. Business affairs, Cristina Scarano. Legal, Janet Vasquez. Art direction by Angela Acevedo. Our audio consultant is Tommy Perez. Editorial, Bárbara González. Business operations, Annie Chocron. I'm Daniel Ofredo Rota, and this is Caife, The Lost Sound. Thank you for listening.